Ladies and gentlemen, this is a special edition of The Forward Curve. Welcome to this special edition of The Forward Curve, the weekly podcast devoted to the commodity markets and global economy. Today, we have Lachlan Tulin and Kevin Moore of Gold Street Advisors with us, and they are going to be discussing the recent changes to the global manufacturing supply chain in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lachlan is deeply knowledgeable about the American physical commodity market, having spent many years as a trader for a global aluminum merchant. And Kevin was a procurement manager and helped form the original commodity risk management program at automotive giant General Motors. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Christian. I'm here with Kevin to have a chat about this, as Kevin's expertise, having been at a large automotive, was generally focused on the supply chain. I think all of us are familiar with the term just-in-time inventory, just-in-time management, where a lot of consumers will keep very, very, very low levels of inventory and expect consistent deliveries of material in order to produce their products. Obviously, we're still in the middle of the virus, and a lot of that type of management system uh, has been put under question. And I I wanted to ask Kevin the question. Obviously, this initially did change back with the Fukushima incident in Japan, where a lot of Japanese producers had their just-in-time inventory strategy questioned as some of their components that they needed were delayed because of that. And obviously, now there's a much bigger global impact happening with the virus. And just, Kevin, how have you seen how this has impacted both the large manufacturers as well as down through the supply chain? Well, you know, I've been around a long while now, I hate to admit, but back through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, of course, and I started in the 80s, General Motors or any of the large OEMs, not just the automotive, but any kind of appliance producer or whatever, had massive plants, massive assembly areas, massive storage. It was unbelievable the number of conveyors and things. So they had such a large investment into inventories. And there's two benefits, right? It's because of the financing costs, but he also had big quality problems because he had so much in inventory and find out half your inventory when you need it was bad. So comes along the 90s, a lot of push, especially with the Toyota model, uh, just in time or Japanese model. Uh, there's a big push then to go to just in time. Of course, a lot of that was to modify the plants, get rid of these massive conveyors and storage. It was unbelievable how materials were going up and down and up and around and end up the same machine. And they never really traveled five feet from where they started to getting in or had to go more than five feet to get into the machine. So a lot of things had to be modified to get this more just in time. Uh, a lot of things were put in place just to feed uh, special bins right into their production lines and instantly have the material. But naturally what happened, and it was kind of, I almost laughed about this, is, you know, the supply base was really the, became the owner of that uh, inventory uh, to some degree. They did cut back significantly themselves. Uh, they were challenged by the OEMs to cut back their costs and lower their prices. And one of them was to have less inventory and less cost too. So it works it all the way down, all the way down the chain. And it just depends on which chain you're talking about or which product you're talking about. It's all pretty much similar. And we saw a lot of that in, even in the metals world. I'm, I'm an aluminum guy, right? Well, you know, you go, go back to Jim uh, gets a part or Ford or whoever, uh, a mana, and then that part is already assembled and ready to go. Well, go back to the assembly people who had to buy all the different parts that had to be stamped, cast, and machined. Uh, so there's multiple layers there. 
uh, along with all the electronics. And then you go back another one further, and then you've got all the different parts that are originally produced. Then you go back to the raw materials, and that raw materials goes back to aluminum, actually a, a semi, and that goes back to aluminum, and that goes to alumina, and that goes away to bauxite. So you can see how long the chain is. Just That's just one example. So that's just a little bit of the past history. Of course, 90s brought along that, then the 2000s, especially with the Chinese and so many offshoring, I'll call it in this case, uh, all of a sudden the inventories were at a bigger risk. So everybody focused on making sure the quality was better. All the big OEMs, again, would go over to China and make sure those materials right before they ever shipped. But you also have uh, time on the ocean. You also had some products that have a lifespan. So some things had to be tighter. But all that was in the guise of saving significant money on inventory. Then, as you just mentioned, all of a sudden we have kind of a shift in our politics to start with. We're going to do more onshoring, a lot of pressure to onshore. Then, of course, we've got on top of that the Japanese uh, situation with the tsunami. And those parts, all of a sudden, all the OEMs, no matter what the end product was, realized that their supply sources were at big risk. And some of them were actually shut down themselves because they were buying catalytic converters from Japan, for example, in cars and certainly other parts. So a lot of things that started to change the mindset. Along with, of course, in the, uh, in, since uh, the last 10 years, really, the interest rates continue to drop. The cost of finance is a lot less. And now what do we have on top of that? We are now having the COVID. And the COVID then has now, again, pointed out some of the problems because each region was acting differently. Certainly, China led the way in shutdowns. All of a sudden, that was impacting everybody. And, of course, the new administration is putting heavy emphasis on, I call them new, I guess they've been there four years, but uh, they're putting heavy emphasis on onshoring, I call it, back into the U.S. So bringing back more production here, possibly then what you're going to want to do, though, is interest rates are so cheap, it makes a lot of sense now to reconsider and assure that you have supply. So the entire supply chain now has to look at how they're going to manage that, how they're going to inventory that, how are they going to keep that financing cost down. I think that's the next wave for another 10 years. And Kevin, are you seeing that this is still being pushed down the chain? In other words, when Kevin uses the phrase OEM, he's actually referring to some of the original equipment manufacturer, which is generally someone, for example, in the automotive sector, that would be Ford, GM, Chrysler here in the United States. They would obviously have suppliers who would supply them with various components. And then those components are manufactured from raw materials. And the supply chain is how some bauxite is mined. It then goes through an aluminum refinery. It comes into alumina. From there, it goes to an aluminum smelter. It's converted into aluminum, and then it's made into a part, and then it's sold to the OEM, which in this case would be Ford, GM, or Chrysler. Are the big final consumers, as it were, are they pushing the inventory issue back onto their suppliers, and is it moving back down the chain? And does that result in perhaps those who are less able to get access to cheap finance are the ones having the burden of carrying the inventory? Yeah, I think it's almost a given, again, that, that that's starting to happen. Rarely if ever to the OEMs, including the whirlpools of the world. It's just not the automotive sector or, or the Boeings or whatever aerospaces. Some of the large ones that buy a lot of parts, uh, they will always push that back as that's their mantra uh, because there's such a large change compared to what there used to be. Remember the two about the OEMs originally back in the day, they made everything themselves, right? They had casting facilities, they had stamping facilities, they still do. They had forming, they made plastic, they made every part on the car. 
so that has gone away where they've now pushed that down to the supply group along that chain. And that continues to be pushed back on them. And that will always be the way it is, I think, in the future. Uh, they will always make that part of the quoting process that you must maintain certain inventories. Uh, and they're going to get tighter and tighter, they're sure on those kind of things, along with the quality issues. So that risk will work its way down through the chain. And of course, the tier ones, you know, the one ultimately delivering to the OEM, will push it down as far as they can too. And sometimes they'll absorb some of that for their suppliers may be weak or whatever. And it's exchange too. Sometimes you have to exchange absolute price, you know, to have inventory, you have to pay a little bit more. And some places they'll say, you know what, we'd rather invest in that ourselves. But that's further down the line. I don't see General Motors, Ford, or Chrysler, or Toyota, by the way. Uh, they uh, they import a lot of things here. Uh, so I would see them having more and more warehouses and more and more inventory here, too. So again, that's a situation where it's warehousing, I guess, is the industry to be in, as, as, as there's just going to be generally more and more components and potentially raw materials stockpiled along the supply chain, which in theory, should make the supply chain and the ability to produce the end products more resilient. That's correct. I mean, the end products of certain end products, I'll use automotive sheet because I know it so well, it has a shelf life too, no matter who produces it. However, you can take it to a different level. After the hot roll, then you would heat treat and cold roll. You can do it in that segment so you can get it all the way up to that point. But once you get it to that point, you heat treat it, that has a six-month shelf life. And of course, the OEM specifically preferred to be three months or less uh, because, you know, and there's a lot of safety factors in that. But certainly that's, you know, that's one area that was already being pushed back anyway, especially if you're going to bring them overseas. And there are some automotive sheet products coming over, mostly going to distributors, not directly to the OEMs for aftermarkets and or some of the other applications. But they have that same problem. We've got to at least then turn that over if it goes into certain applications, automotive sheet being one. All right. That's fantastic, Kevin. Thank you very much for that. Obviously, from this, it seems that perhaps just-in-time inventory is being tested, and perhaps we're moving more to an environment where inventory is becoming much more important. Even even outside of industry, we've, we've seen an example where a lot of masks and gloves and various types of medical equipment and personal protection equipment was not stockpiled, and these became an issue. So this is something which will be seen across the economy as whole, where people will want to hold inventories in case there isn't a such as this again, or if this event continues, that everybody's supply chains become ro- more robust and stronger. And the end result seems to be a lot of inventory will be kept and perhaps a lot more capital will be tied up in keeping that inventory. The other factor I'd throw in there is remember, there always was an advantage, at least when the uh, cost for money was so much higher. So they may not even have to be pushed by the OEM or the final consumer because they all of a sudden see, you know what? We now reduce our risk very cheaply and we could do more things if we can finance it. Maybe we're more willing to take that risk ourselves anyway, because it's so cheap to finance versus cutting things so tight when the financing cost was higher, especially if you can find the right partner that would help you do that without having that risk. Right. Well, that's, of course, interesting. We'll have to, while rates have for the last decade or so been quite low, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future with all the debt being issued. Will rates remain as low as they're expected to remain? But that's something which we will find out with the future. Indeed, that is an interesting question, Lachlan, and one that Gold Street Advisors Chief Analyst Robin Barr and I happen to discuss on this week's regular edition of The Forward Curve. 
Robin and I also delve into Tesla's big Battery Day event that took place this week, reviewing what exactly Elon Musk announced and what it means from the commodity perspective. Thanks, guys, for letting us listen in on your insightful conversation about the all-important manufacturing supply chain. It's a topic that is sure to remain salient as we navigate our way through whatever becomes the new normal in global manufacturing. This special edition of The Forward Curve has been brought to you by Gold Street Advisors, a commodity analysis and advisory firm. Look for more special editions of The Forward Curve, as well as our regular weekly programs on your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to subscribe so that you can always have your eye and ear on The Forward Curve.